evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I am your host, Troy Goodfellow. This is the Patreon-supported, supporters-voted topic show. We try to do one of these a month, and this was our pick for February. And of course, it's not February now, it's March. Uh, scheduling and busyness and schedules and all of that uh, got in the way of February, but uh, we are giving you the show right now, and there is still a March vote going on. This month's uh, user vote was not even close, and it's really not a surprise since the topic is one that listeners have been trying to get me to speak on for years now, pretty much since I started the podcast uh, in 2009, and that is Dwarf Fortress and games like Dwarf Fortress, which I guess we are calling world simulators. This is not something I am qualified to speak on, but I do have three very qualified people here to very qualified people to talk about uh, Dwarf Fortress, the appeal of world simulators, what distinguishes a good one from a bad one. And first is our producer from the other side of the mic, someone we're always happy to have uh, come on the show, Mr. Michael Hermes. Hello, I'm here and deeply disappointed in our fans who let sports management sims fall dead last in that same poll with Dwarf Fortress. Hey, we all, we're we're going to do a franchise hockey manager show whether it kills me. I'll find a way. We will. Returning to the show, uh, from Gaslamp Games, our friend, Nick Vining. Always a pleasure. And her first time on the show, or we hope it's her first time, it's her debut, a freelance writer and critic based out of Chicago, uh, Gita Jackson. Hi, it's me. I'm here also. <laughs> Hello. How's it going? Great so far. Yeah, doing good here. So, Michael, you're a Dwarf Fortress person, and Gita, you're a Dwarf Fortress fanatic, and Nick, you're building a world sim. So I guess I want to... I'm going to open with a, I'm going to open with a very annoying question. Um, say, like five years ago, if someone asked you, what is Dwarf Fortress? I would have said it is a city simulator, a fantasy city simulator. But I would not say that now. I would say it's something very, very different. So I guess, what distinguishes a world simulator from other types of sims? What separates Dwarf Fortress from a Sim City or even a Sims uh, or a City Skylines? Yeah, I just wrote something for GiantBomb.com about what I feel is the distingu- like what distinguishes this game from, from Sim City and City Skylines and stuff like that is that it's not asking you to, like, just build a world. And while there are, like, storytelling opportunities in the game, like SimCity um, or City Skylines, this is, like, a fiction generator. Like, this is, like, your fantasy epic generator. It's something that allows you to create not just, like, an environment, but, like, relationships. It's like building a neighborhood, like a small neighborhood where you know everybody that walks down the street. Um, It requires you in order to like really get like what got me to really get and like this game was um feeling like I was like a co-author in a story that I was writing with Dwarf Fortress and I don't think like SimCity or City Skylines gives me that opportunity um so I'm gonna actually first off World Simulator that's the first time I've actually heard that term Troy like that's what I've always heard recently is colony builder as opposed to city builder. Mm-hmm. And the, the difference to my mind between the two is, um, and again, I like, as I, for anybody who doesn't know me, I'm currently working on a, a game called Clockwork Empires, which I'm going to keep referring back to as a data point, not as a means of 
flagrant self-promotion, but because working on something like this has changed how I see Dwarf Fortress so freaking much, um, it's really annoying that I can't distinguish the two. You know, I, I can't really talk about one without talking about my experiences and the other these days. But what really distinguishes Dwarf Fortress for me is the it has a it has an atomicity about it. Uh, using my you know power word for the day. Um, in that sort of the way that the simulation works is that everything is is simulated down to a minute detail, and it's the it's the in, the the big world fantasy effect is created by this interaction of many 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 tiny small systems intricately written and intricately uh, playing off one another, um, and that creates sort of the overall effect. Um, I think that's the I think that for me is the real dis differentiation in that the the city of like SimCity or City Skylines or something isn't simulated at a micro scale. Here in Dwarf Fortress, I mean, you know, you're simulating like fingernail tissue and, you know, huge quantities of world history that people may remember and then put into paintings or art and, you know, feuds, dog reproduction. I mean, you know, the list just goes <laughs> on and on and on and on and on. Um, and from a programming perspective, each of these systems really sort of does the same sort of a thing. Um, in that there's only, you know, there's only so many ways to, to grab a tag off of an object and then have that create some other things and, and change some other behavior based on some sort of uh, probability distribution table. And the genius of Dwarf Fortress is it keeps applying that model over and over and over and over again to, to different things. So you can have these, these massive chaotic reactions that spiral out of a, a giant dynamical system. Yeah, and I think it's it's good that you said that it's on the micro scale because I think Dwarf Fortress especially is one of the few games that pulls off both micro and macro. I mean, mm. you, typically you'll have to trade off something somewhere, right? Like you can have something really, really detailed, but the scope is going to be very narrow because you have things like budgets and time and constraints of when you have to do things. Or you can have right. something that generates, I don't know, 500 years of history before you even start the game. Um but Dwarf Fortress, kind of being independently run since 2002, it's macro and micro at the same time because it just does everything. They they have the inclination and the ability and the time to just do as much as they want on things that I think in most commercial games, uh, uh, a producer would be like, guys, guys, it doesn't matter if his skin bruises but his don't, bones don't break or something like that, right? Like Dwarf Fortress can do almost an insane amount of detail and still the, this grandiose uh, hundreds of years of history and titles and names and deaths and dates that, that you just don't, I, I haven't really seen much anywhere else. I think I'd agree with that. Um, and I, I mean, and you know, the, the, the two questions really are a, does it actually pull it off? I mean, Dwarf Fortress is legendary for its inaccessibility and also B, and this is, this is one which, any developer sort of walking in, in, in Toady One's footsteps needs to deal with is how much of that detail is actually necessary? And that's, I know that's a big question we ask ourselves. Um, and there, there are, you know, general opinions on it. Um, we actually have written on the, on the whiteboard here actually at work is, uh, what would Toady One do? Please don't do that. As just a, <laughs> a gentle reminder to ourselves that, you know, there is a peril to overstimulation. Gita, in the Giant Bomb essay uh, you wrote this week, you mentioned that what everybody knows about Dwarf Fortress is that it is hard and that it is about dwarfs. <laughs> now, from the developers of Crusader Kings, I can't speak with many pointy fingers about user interfaces. Um, but 
is does Dwarf Fortress deserve that reputation? You think is a game that, it, and what do you think makes it legendarily inaccessible? I mean, Dwarf Fortress for me, I mean, I was game I've dabbled with, but it's up there with you know Eve Online as a game I love reading about. <laughs> but it terrifies me to try to inter- intervene in it because, like, oh, my God, there's poetry. That's just one more thing to think about, even though I don't really need to think about it. My brain thinks I do. So what are you thinking about Dwarf Fortress and other world builders? Because Nomoria, I tried to play Nomoria uh, this week. Same thing, just bounced right off. Uh, really? Pr- prison Architect. Prison Architect kind of uh, world semi um, industry type game. And that kind of... That's a little bit better. Um, what is it about Dwarf Fortress that you think makes it almost resistant? Here we are, 15, about 14 years later, to um, so many people, but also so accessible to a lot of people. What makes what drives people to play this? Well, I think the biggest hurdle I personally had to get over with playing Dwarf Fortress was the idea that there's a way to win this game, um, mm. like with most like world generators and simulation games. Um, there's not really a way to win, but there is sort of like an ideal state for the game to be in. You know, a functioning city and city skylines has, you know, you know you're trying to drive for, for growth and good traffic and the balance of, you know, industry, commercial and residential lots. Um, and that's sort of what you're going, playing towards as you play the game. With Dwarf Fortress, you're going to lose. Like, you are going to get everyone killed. And it's everything you do up until that point is sort of the story. You're creating the story of how you fucked up. Um, and it becomes, um, not knowing what you need, it becomes like this iterative process where every time you screw up, it's not like a punishment. It's just, you learn about a different economy that you should have looked into much earlier in the game. And the next time you start up a fortress, you can add that into the list of processes that you start doing. Um, but it is a sort of like, it's, it, it's hard because that is like, as a, player of games that is an emotional hurdle that is like difficult to jump over it's i think more so than the interface because it's all like keyboard shortcuts um you can i've learned a multitude of keyboard shortcuts in my time using computers um and even the interface uh because the fan community for dwarf fortress is so robust it's really easy to get a tile set at this point you can grab a newbie pack and things are a little bit easier to to parse on the screen um but really for me it's just like it feels hard because there is no win state. You won't win this game. And that's like devastating to think about the first couple times you play. <laughs> I think part of it's also just the 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 openness at the beginning of the game where there's most games today are going to gate off certain things. There's going to be a logical progression or tree of what you are able to do or what you have access to. And I think that exists to a certain extent in Dwarf Fortress, but more so than others, uh, with even less direction than most modern games, you're just kind of there. And you can do a lot of things, and there's really no way for it to steer you to what you should be doing. And there are very <laughs> important things where the interface does not weight what is more important than something else right so Mm. necessary uh commands uh are not highlighted and in some cases are i would say obfuscated where you know when you're trying to go into the preferences for a worker you know the 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 keyboard command for that's way at the bottom next to like escape and cancel rather than at the top where you would expect to see you know here's something you should know you should do with this unit but it's actually (laughs) behind this other thing but we're not going to tell you that and that and, and i think like gita said that's 
that's just rote memorization, but it's 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 something you you get used to over time. And after your first couple games, you, you don't care. It's like the the crafting. It's like crafting in Minecraft, where you have this little layout and diagram, and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But after a while, you're like, of course, I put four planks here, and then I get a workshop, and then I put this down, and it, it it's a temporary hurdle. But it's significant, it, and I think that the the lack of waiting in the interface is is one of the bigger things that keeps people scratching their heads. Yeah, that doesn't help very much at all, um, because yeah, in comparison to games like uh, City of Skylines, that game almost to a fault handholds you through the process of you know what roads you should be building and you know what kind of zones you should be zoning and stuff. Um, Dwarf Fortress, you get everything right away, so you don't. And you like for the first couple of games, you're not going to make it long enough to say start making soap or something. So once you do make it long enough in a fortress to start making soap and to be needing soap, you know, for people who are injured, you um, won't know what to do or where to find these things. So suddenly you'll have a bunch of people with infected limbs that are all dying, <laughs> um, and the game's not going to tell you why or how. Hmm. I mean, so. Really, I mean, it's 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 a problem also of information overload. I mean, it 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 gives you so much all at once, um, and doesn't really give you any sort of hierarchy of importance. I mean, we can we can say all we want about paradox games, and we often do, but at least uh, you know something like Crusader Kings Two gives you some sort of a, a vague hierarchy of, of useful or relevant information. Dwarf Fortress doesn't even do that. I mean, it's just sort of all there. Yeah. There's a big splat, and you know, part of wrestling with the game and, and, and learning to work with the game is just trying to to understand that and, and you know no 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 effort is made to attempt to streamline this process by by uh by tarn adams i mean it's just you know why would he do that when he could write a bee simulator uh <laughs> <laughs> that's what we should call these so we should call them bee simulators i actually like that there you quite go. a bit well, but there are actual bee simulators i mean it's, well sim ant i guess is the closest thing we have to a bee simulator um which is interesting thinking about it because sort of I mean, dwarves are really just complicated ants from a from a programming perspective. It's if you if you took one of those like Will Wright, uh, not Will Wright. Um, yeah, Will Wright was. Yeah, Will Wright made some ant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Jeez. Okay, my my brain is clearly still set to like Berlin time. Um, if you if you look at any of these. Uh, you know, the, the, those sorts of simulators where you have something being simulated in an atomic scale like Symmetra, Sim Life. I mean, Dwarf Fortress is, is, is that with a, a staggering rule set, but it's still, you know, that individual primitivism. Um, Do you think the game would be less special with a better UI? Yes. Well, I'm in trouble. <laughs> uh, like that, I mean, that's, you know, that's part of our business. That, 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 that's interesting. First of all, why do you ask that question? And Michael, why do you say yes? I think I, I'm asking this just because. Like, the situation of Dwarf Fortress is something that I think is rare in the current economy of, like, indie gaming, where it's just, like, something some dude and his brother are doing for funzos and don't really make any money off of and are clearly very talented individuals. But you can tell that they're, like, their aesthetic of gaming comes from a time long, long past. The time that I, as a player, didn't even, ex like, didn't experience. Like, I'm only 26 years old. Um, so it's... It feels like a special, like almost like a very special object that I'm like mm -hmm. privileged to be able to play because I know if it weren't for 
for these two guys, then this game wouldn't exist or it would exist in sort of a, a neutered or not as interesting state. It makes me think, you know, I wish sometimes that the game was a little bit more forthcoming with what it, the systems need me to do. But also, I like that it's not like how Dwarf, uh, not Dwarf, um, Dark Souls makes you learn by dying, but it's similar to that in a way that I find maybe less aggressive or punishing. It just, it, it asks you to learn it and to read it. And um, the community that's like sort of sprung up around that, I also find really fascinating. And it, I feel like the things that would make this a traditionally a better, quote unquote, better game would also kind of ruin it. And I just want to judge whether or not other people feel the same way. I've got two thoughts on this. Um, so thought one, um, anybody here heard of the term outsider art? Yes. No. Yes. Okay. Um, that was actually the inverse order, which I expected you two to answer the question in. I would have thought that Kitty, you would have heard of it and Michael wouldn't have. Um, but what do I know? Um, basically the idea of outsider art is it refers to any, any sort of art, which is basically created by somebody so outside of the, the art production community or with any of the sometimes traditional skills of that community that um, what you get is, is just so completely departed from the mainstream. Um, if you've, there's, a, there's, a there's a musician named uh, Jandek, I believe, who has been producing solo albums um, where you have to, you mail away and you get LPs and now CDs uh, for $5 in his house. Is, you, you mail the representative from Corwood Industries and he's been doing this since like 1970-something. And the music is basically unlistenable, but its unlistenability is also what makes it so interesting. And the fact that he's done this as this, this project for like 35 years, slowly building up this, this stream of people listening to these like, weird atonal albums which vaguely resemble an armadillo trying to get his hands on a guitar for the first time and learning a few basic chords. Um, Dwarf Fortress sort of falls in that category too, in the sense that, I mean, um, I mean, Tarn is, is brilliant in that he, you know, he, his P, let's, let's not forget he has a mathematics PhD in, in I think, Banach Algebras, which is uh, significantly outranks my, uh, my bachelor's degree in math. Um, but you know, this is really, he hasn't, I think, been involved in, in traditional game communities before, traditional game making processes before, and is basically doing whatever he thinks is best at the time, which is just adding more layers to a simulation. Um, and so what you've created is you've created something which has magic to it because it is so far outside of the of the development mainstream. I mean, it's not like any other indie project out there. Indies are slowly... Indies these days tend to converge onto a hyper-polished experience that does, like, one thing really well. And, you know, Dwarf Fortress isn't particularly polished. And uh, that's, not, that's not a word that applies here. Um, it's this weird, crazy, spiky thing. Um, but, but it's it, an and, endearing, and, weird, crazy, spiky thing. Yeah. yeah. It, it does a lot of things, like, sort of okay. Yeah. Basically. But it's, but it's things where if, you know, if... if, if any, there's a bunch of things where it 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 feels like it, you know if you just took like a couple of days to clean a few things up, then life would just be better. But that's me saying that. But would it still be dwarf fortress? And maybe it wouldn't be. 
Um, the other thing, of course, which is important about Dwarf Fortress is, I mean, this 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 concept um, from you know, uh, I I think it is fair to call Dwarf Fortress a Gesamtkunstwerk, which is um, basically the the idea of art in its totality encompassing all forms of art or as many forms of art as possible under the unifying direction of envision of one individual. It's, you know, even if you have, say, uh, an auteur game dev, like, you know, Jonathan Blow is a good example. Uh, I mean, John, you know, every aspect of The Witness, for instance, was, was hyper-critically controlled and optimized to follow what Jonathan wanted, but there was still work that was done in accomplishing that vision by... Um, you know, architectural firms, other programmers, game designers, whoever. Um, Dwarf Fortress is really singularly the, the product of one man. I mean, Tarn's brother is involved at some creative level, which I don't really understand their partnership entirely, but it's very, you know, it's one man's work over 13 years. It has that singularity of, of vision, which I think is also part of the magic. Um, I don't know. It's... It's hard, to, it's hard to put labels on what the specialness is here. It could be, I think it's somewhere between those two. I, th I think you both have, have more eloquently stated whatever I was going to wax poetic about on this game. Uh, but I agree. And I think that, back to Gita's original question, um, I do think it would be less special. Um, I, I think that it, it having it be as opaque as it is, and having it be as inaccessible as it is, which let's say not inaccessible, but less accessible, it is part of it's. I hate to say it, it's part of the charm. It's part of what makes it special. It's part of what makes it, as you both have said, not like anything else. And I think that that sort of um, that barrier to entry or, or that uh, that pain in the acidness is what makes the fans so rabidly in love with it or at least as part of it, because we've we spent 15, 20 minutes talking about why, in theory, this should be a bad game. Like, it flies in the face of several established conventions about what makes a good game or what makes something accessible, and yet there are people who send money to these guys on a monthly basis, now that they have a Patreon, um, and yet there's forums and stories and illustrated versions of Boat Murdered and we're here today to spend three quarters of a podcast to talk about this crazy, beautiful gem of a game that just wouldn't exist if it was anything else at all. If it was anything else at all, it would be No Moria. If it was, if it was something else, and yes, there, there could be things they could do to maybe streamline it or make it a little less painful, but I, 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 think, I think the pain is part of the fun. And I think the hardcore fans would also say it kind of helps keep the riffraff out because... This game could could be way bigger than it is. It could be yeah. way bigger, like like astronomically big, with with the with the changes that people have suggested. Um, but it's not, and that's kind of what it, it's as big as something can be while still being on the fringe of of what I think gaming culture would allow. There's been no shortage of you know larger studios that have tried to make dwarf fortress Hi. Or, or dwarf fortress type <laughs> games i mean we have um there's when there's been craft the world there's uh, game of dwarves um there we have i mean nomoria which is just let's just call them gnomes and then it'll be different um but pretty much it's you know the same game um and none of them have been able to really crack through 
um, at this level. Now, I mean, the Clockwork Empires is a very it's a different setting. It's a different game. RimWorld, completely science fiction. But people have actually tried to make Dwarf Fortress with better graphics, better tile sets, better interface, and gotten nowhere with it. I, for this show, I I went back into my Steam library, and it's worth pointing out that Nomoria, which I think we'll bring up a couple of times because it's probably mm-hmm. one of the most uh, clearly inspired versions of Dwarf Fortress games. Before getting back into Dwarf Fortress, which I hadn't played in about two years, I said, I'm going to try this Nomoria game. It just hit, I think it just left early access maybe like two weeks Did ago. I don't know. Wow. Yeah, like, okay. like they hit Crazy. their milestone. It's, well, it's 1.0. Yeah. So I, I, pl- I played the game and I said, yeah, you know what? This this is great. I can right click. I've got my menus. There's some there's a, a little menu at the bottom that kind of lays things out. I set up my workshops. I put in some tasks for my guys to do. I'm like, yeah, this is this is it. Like, yeah, I, I think these guys really got it. And then, and I, then you stopped playing and played Dwarf Fortress. And then I stopped playing and played Dwarf Fortress. Yes. I went and installed <laughs> it. And I said, oh, yeah, this is what we're here for. This is this is it right here, and it's not like uh, it's not like a comfy old pair of jeans you put on. It's like when your dryer's broken, so you hang dry your <laughs> jeans and they're kind of crusty and hard for a while, and it's not that great. But then you get back into it again, and you're like, yeah, this is this is it. So, I, I mean, Nomoria is a great game. I think yeah. it's very well done, and I think they've done something really, really, really well with it. And it's probably one of the closer approximations I've seen. But I, you know. I have a fairly stout computer, and and every game starts with ten minutes of just letting it crank away a useless world simulation, so I could play this game, and I love it. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's. I mean, I, I will say also, I think, um, I think, programming complexity, writing a colony builder or dwarf fortress like or whatever is the single hardest goddamn thing I've ever worked on. Jesus, I don't even believe it. I it's just like agonizingly, brain breakingly horrible as a programming experience because of the level of complexity and the number of things going on. And and in our case we do it all with three D graphics. So um it's I'm not surprised that there are a lot of projects that have tried to do this and have either had to make drastic cuts in terms of its simplicity. I mean, I think a game of dwarves is. I played it, sort of being really panicked that oh my god, they're gonna you know they're gonna just eat our, eat us for lunch. It's got paradox behind it, da, 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 da. and it kind of played more like Dungeon Keeper, which is interesting. Um, and towns famously completely crashed and burned. That imploded, um, yeah, and imploded. And I think actually in doing so damaged a lot of the the potential for other games working in this space doing early access because everybody has been you know bitten by that um also for some reason by goddess in this space and that sort of being a bit of a train wreck and space-based um, to some extent and space-based as well like that had double be- fine behind it and it kind of you know they didn't know what the, what they were getting into or i i mean i you know um JP Le Breton was their lead programmer and on is now doing his own indie thing and he re- you know he tweeted a couple of weeks back don't ever talk to me about space space cf9 it was the worst mistake of my life wow and it's an astonishing statement i mean but these it's really 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 hard to program i mean i i we all go home with and massive freaking headaches every day trying to 
finish this thing just because of the the, the level of, of of complexity and thought required in in the AI in the in the building of the dam of the of the simulation and trying to take all the information and and push it somewhere else. It's really genuinely excruciatingly hard. Um, and the people who seem to be having the most success at producing a completed game seem to be the people who are willing to deviate from that formula quite a lot. I mean, Nomoria has stuck very uh, rigidly to it. Um, RimWorld is, is taking a bunch of really interesting twists and turns with it, which I think are a lot of which are great. Prison Architect kind of then took that one level further. Actually, it was in the reverse order. I think Prison Architect came out before RimWorld. Um, and, you know, obviously we're kind of now also doing our own thing. But um, it's hard. It's genuinely, truly just hard. Is it's it brutal. Is it? I'm really glad you're here because I have, I have many questions that we probably won't get to on this topic. But is it, is it like two or three big hairy things like, like pathfinding or AI? Or is it just like a death by a thousand cuts where it's just like there's 500 systems here and once you whack-a-mole this one then two other go haywire like what or is it all of the above it's it's it, it's absolutely all of the above like pathfinding is this huge thing because you've got like you know 200 dwarves moving from place to place and and, and dwarf fortress has brute forces it it's like okay i don't care how slow it's going to be i'm going to run a star pathfinding for everything and you know there was a Gamma Sutra interview with, with Tarn Adams a while back where he basically was asked what the secret sauce is and he said, eh, our pathfinding basically sucks. We do a couple special things for like um, Z ordering which got in the, the 3D rewrite, but basically it's just A-star. Um, but And that's okay if you don't mind having like the latency chunk when you have 200 dwarves going on. Obviously, if you're doing a polished title, you can't get away with that. And so um you have to maintain like a connected component graph to make sure that you're never running A-star trying to path to an inaccessible location. And then that's this huge ball of wax of infrastructure. Anytime you build something or put something down or the world changes, you have to, you know, run this giant algorithm on this map that finds connected components and that's slow. And so you have to optimize that. And then, you know, updating like hazards, um, AI interactions, people getting stuck looking for things that disappeared because something else has blown them up completely. Um, you know, un, unseen, unheard of, random, rare interactions where if you've got this guy with this tag stuck on him next to this guy with this tag stuck on him, terrible things happen. Um, and, you know, then you put graphics on it. Um, and as soon as you do that or try to use multiple CPU cores because the simulation is so resource intensive, then you have threading problems because now you have two CPU cores trying to maintain the same game state and pass messages back and forth to each other. And it's just, I mean, it, it's just this huge awful freaking snowball of a thing um and yeah it's tough it's genuinely the hardest thing i've ever done in terms of 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 programming chores is trying to make the simulation um and maybe some of that is just because trying to do it at a more polished level and some of that is maybe just i don't know that is just this really extraordinarily hard programming task i'm you know, some pe sometimes people sort of say, "Well, I'm, you know, wouldn't it be great if we did this 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 colony thing on as other indi indies?" And I go, "No, no, don't do that. Please don't do that. Don't subject yourself to this. Go make any other game where you won't 
you know, be pulling out your hair. You know, never mind things like balance and, and you know, and trying to set up some sort of a, a reasonable resource tree, which are things I don't even do. I, you know, that's, that's Daniel and Chris's job at, at Gaslamp right now. Um, but it's, it's genuinely hard. I would have thought Double Fine would have done it. I would have thought, but they just completely, I don't know, ran afoul of it. Um, I, towns apparently just didn't know what they were getting into and, and exploded. I'm, the fact that the Nomoria guys have done what they've done is, I mean, it's a huge technical accomplishment hiding under a game that's running at like 320 by 240 with pixel art. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a staggering achievement. Um, and the same with, with, with RimWorld or, or even, even Banished. These guys are good coders. I mean, you know, it's like, a, it's like running a marathon. I'm glad you mentioned Banished. I think that was a really well done game. And I remember that the, the, pro, the, the guy who did that wrote his own engine. He did kind of the whole thing. Um, but I, I thought that was a really clean example of sort of the, the small scale, reasonable scope version of this game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he boiled it down to its barest essentials. I mean, um, like I, I know that a lot of people with Banished were really disappointed that it had it, it had so little in it. And it, it basically was the, the main complaint lobbed at it. Um, uh, Tom Chick, I think, I mean, savaged we, it. We, 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 we did a show on it. The complaint. Was yeah, I remember you had you, you had, the, uh, the, game you had Cassandra. the game effectively does have an end. There's just not enough content. Yeah. Um, so in effect, so here we're talking about you know Colony Sims world builders where the game ends because something wild happens. There's a path to victory in Banished, and then the path to victory takes you nowhere beyond a perpetual motion machine. Right. You solve the loop, and it's done. But that's the most dwarf fortressy thing about dwarf fortress is that, as Gita said, you're going to die eventually. But even if you don't, even if you somehow find a way to sustain everything, the more you improve, the more likely you are to approach the inevitable heat death of this system that gets ground to a halt because there's so much going on mm -hmm. that your game becomes basically unplayable. That's also true. I mean, 200 dwarves is very slow. But you realize yeah. that the level at which you're simulating the damn things is just yep. a quagmire. So we're seeing more of these uh, games now. Um, you know, RimWorld, Memoria, um, you know, Poor Fortress has gotten some decent tile sets now, so people are paying a lot more attention to it, I think. Um, Michael, you and Gita are the critics here. What do you think explains the growing popularity of this type of, of this subgenre of strategy games? I mean, these genres, they, they wax and wane, they come and go in popularity, um, I was kind of expecting city builders to, to get big, uh, but they never really did. And that we were doing this with these world sim type things. Is there a reason that you think these are taking off beyond people wanting a piece of the Dwarf Fortress audience? Are they speaking to something people are looking for in strategy games? Well, for me, um, what attracts me to work games like this is that something I find unsatisfying um, in terms of like city builders, um, like is that, it's letting me build a place, but not letting me experience the place, essentially. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, like, as a player and as a critic, I, I find, you know, something really appealing about... There's a mode in, like, SimCity, like, one of the earlier SimCities, I think the last good one, where you can sort of drive around your town in a isometric view. And it's, like, not really good, but it scratched a sort of itch. I always want to know what it's like to live in these places I build. Um, games like Dwarf Fortress and Nomoria and RimWorld and Banished, they give you at least some feedback about how these people feel. 
Um, Dwarf Fortress does it best, I think, in that the if anything's even a little bit off, the reaction of the people that live in your fortress is ex really extreme. Um, but it it just gives you like just enough so that it feels like a completely different experience from just sort of building like sometimes the cities I build in city skylines feel like ghost towns to me. They just don't really feel alive. Yeah, yeah I think that's a good point. Um, and I, I the, the same thing you liked about that one SimCity game is that's the first mod I installed for City Skylines was the first person camera so you could go tool around in your little city because I I love that. There is there was a game on PlayStation called Dark Cloud. And I think one of my favorite parts mm. of that game was after you you placed your little village blocks, you could just go run around the village. Like, I've been looking at this map, and now I could go run around it. Um, I loved it. But that, that's kind of beside the point. Um, I think, Troy, I, I, think, I just think systems-based games kind of on a rise. Um, mm. I don't have much to back that up except just kind of what I see is that there's just more of these games, and I think the Paradox games have been a huge boon in that area because those are ultimately system-based games where you make your own fun. And Dwarf Fortress is a game where you make your own fun. And for me personally, those are the games I typically like to play. I usually don't play story-based games, um, except for Firewatch by Campo Santo Studio, <laughs> available now on PC and PlayStation 4. <laughs> Well, okay, um, I'm putting in a plug for my game at the end of this. Then, fine. <laughs> I wasn't going to, but now, now that you did that, I, I have an excuse. You certainly can. Thank you. Well, um, I think um, Dwarf Fortress bridges this gap between narrative and non-narrative based games really neatly because no matter what you do in Dwarf Fortress, you are going to have some sort of emotional attachment mm. to certain dwarves, just based on it allows you to read so much about your, their history and generates like a family like a legacy for basically every single dwarf that you're going to find just a little smidgen of emotional attachment. But these are things you're making up as opposed to something that's handed to you. And like the problem with most narrative based games, and I play a good deal of them is that the writing sucks just yeah. like so much Yeah. In dwarf fortress. The quality of writing is up to you. Yeah. I mean, do we <laughs> want to talk about the fact here that, I mean, a lot of, I think the success of, of systems based games is this idea that people People want more for their gaming dollar these days, and the the AAA model is to try to provide them so much hand-authored, hand-massaged, perfect polished content. But you can't you can't keep up with that. It's a you know it's a declining curve of, of returns versus investment of modern technology. So you still have you know a sixty dollar game with eight hours of gameplay. Systems based is something different, right? I mean, it's you know, the goal is to get your your replay as, as high as you can. Um, for the amount of developer time invested, from just from a development perspective, that's a fairly attractive, fairly attractive option. I mean, it's what we like. It's why you know, Dreadmore and CE all have you know you have people with playtime so like six hundred hours for Dreadmore, um, just by building a game where you have a the ability to have systems based replay value. Um, Dwarf Fortress ties into that I think very strongly, as do you know RimWorld and and all the other colony builders or whatever. I think Minecraft also is a, an interesting thing we might want to discuss um, in this context, because I think it owes a lot of inspiration to Dwarf Fortress and that it also gets a lot of its gameplay from inaccessibility. Minecraft is you have to learn, you learn the secret language of Minecraft. Um, what's the first thing you do? You get stuck and you go on a wiki, and then you're, you're bought into the, the secret community. And Dwarf Fortress is very much the same. It's almost unplayable without referring to online documentation. Yeah, I keep a wiki, the wiki in a tab 
open the entire time that I play because it doesn't yeah. even give you like the uses of any of the stones or minerals you find. You have to look those up or else it won't tell you that you hit, you've hit you hit iron or something. They won't tell you that you've hit bronze. It'll give you the mineral name and then you have no idea what to do with it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think... I mean, I also think that this sort of appeals to uh, system-based games, appeals to, like, the, the gamers, uh, like, the gamer idea or mindset of sort of both community and a way to gatekeep a community. Dwarf Fortress, I think, is a little bit more welcoming than other communities because the game is so absurd. And it's really obvious to see that nobody would be able to get into this without a little bit of help. Um, but it is like it is like a secret language that you're sharing with a so, like a small subset of people, um, and I think that is that I that exclusivity is really appealing, especially in sort of the weird uh, inferiority complex world of video games. Well, I think that goes back to kind of my comment from before about keeping the riffraff out. It's kind of that pride of yeah. of mm. I've done something that other people have not, right? I, people say this game is impossible, but I figured it out. Um, yeah. And I, that's you, for me personally, I'm probably like a 12 year old in the sense that that sort of reverse psychology is like, you, you don't, you don't want to play this game. It's way too hard. And I'll be like, the hell you say, I'm going to figure this fucking thing out and I'm going to play this game. Um, and I think there's a lot of, there's a lot more morons like me in the world who will just beat their head against a wall till they figure <laughs> this out. Well, for me, it really turned me off for a while hearing how hard it was. I'm one of those people that, like, even the idea of playing Dark Souls for me is, like, that just sounds like hell. Like, yeah. it just sounds like literal hell. But I started reading stories people had written about their fortresses. And I realized after a while, like, I, no matter how hard it is, I, like, want to be a part of this. Because it seems so special. And it is, like, just, like, a really special experience. Yeah, I mean, I was, I've participated in some of the, the Dwarf Fortress Let's Plays over on, on Something Awful, um, and they're, they're really great experiences being involved in where you, you know, you take, uh, seeing all these people who take very, like, familiar in-game elements like vomit, and, you know, we haven't talked about the role of vomit in Dwarf Fortress yet, but it's very critical, um, and, uh, and really putting I'm sure their Michael own... Michael has it in his notes. Oh, good, good, good. Uh, and really, really... Spin, you know, taking these things and, and, and twisting them and spinning them and building this narrative on it. And I mean, I don't think I don't think Dwarf Fortress would be nearly as much of a thing as it was without the writing in Boat Murdered, the original Dwarf Fortress LP, being so fucking funny. <laughs> I, I mean, it's you know, just you know, it, the, the game ends in a, a sea of, of flaming elephants and elves on fire, and the only survivor at the end is a psychologically scarred child. I mean, it's great. And, and and they just they just keep getting better. I mean, I think I think Gem Claude is still the best that has that has been done uh, in terms of in terms of writing quality. But they're all all of those those LP efforts. I mean, they're just it, it it's a it's a it, powerful vehicle for for humor and really good creative writing. And then you're involved with it with three hundred other people. It was a very intense experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the role of communities surrounding Dwarf Fortress is really important. People. It's really encouraging and really kind, I think. And people love hearing about how you fucked up, which I, mm. people, I told in the Giant Bomb article I wrote, um, one of my first fortresses, I let the dog population get out of control and I ended up murdering and eating all of them and then using their skin for armor. And That's... people love that story, even though it, I feel really bad every time I tell it, but I know that it's really funny. Like, for months we were eating puppies. 
Well, I mean, you're just projecting your own values onto <laughs> traditional dwarvish behavior. How dare you judge the dwarves like that? I'm sorry. I'm way too human-centric. This is really racist of me. <laughs> I love that story so much that I cut and pasted it from the Giant Bomb article into a chat I was having with a friend. I said, Everyone knows. I just said, I said, you got to read Your this. secret dog-eating shame. I said, she's coming on the show next week, and I'm going to ask her about the dogs. But now I don't have to. Yeah, you they them just up. come up naturally in conversation. It's like I'm giving confession or something. I was never religious, but this is sort of my... I need to, like... Be, have my answer for my sins against dogs who are kind and pure and good. Forgive me, Armok, for I have sinned. It has been seven days since my last fortress failure. Uh, during this time, we slaughtered 15 puppies and set a dwarf on fire. It was good. I watched him burn. <laughs> the best, the best um, awful dwarf fortress story I've heard, though, is, is Austin Walker from Giant Bombs, his story about the vampire he killed that had never killed anyone and whose only wish in life was to be uh, a comedian. <laughs> oh, that was such a sad story. I know. Uh, it was, it was, um, it's rough, but I think like that is like being able to tell these kinds of stories to other people and to have other people understand them and also derive humor from them. This is what makes Dwarf Fortress and talking to other people who play Dwarf Fortress like such a rewarding experience. I love, right. like, this is my favorite part of Dwarf Fortress, actually, is telling people about that time I tried to build a well, but instead just slowly flooded my entire fortress and didn't realize until all of the lower levels where the bedrooms were were completely flooded. Oops. So much flooding. <laughs> a lot of flooding. Here's a question for, a question for the panel. Uh, to what degree do the other dwarf-alikes, shall we say, succeed or fail in that storytelling aspect? Oof. What I've noticed is that I haven't played RimWorld, but I watch a ton of Let's Plays on YouTube of RimWorld, and it is a game that is particularly suited to the YouTube Let's Play format. Mm. Like, there's something about that game where if someone, if a YouTuber I like is starting a RimWorld Let's Play, I am there. Because for some reason, it is, it's a little bit, I think, edgier and like grimdark in a way that I find a little tiresome. But there's something about the rhythms of that game that are very fun to watch. Yeah, RimWorld is, I mean, some, yeah, RimWorld can be very, very edgy. Um, How so? I've, I've, I've watched a few uh, Let's Plays, but a lot of our listeners probably haven't or aren't that familiar with it. Could you explain what you mean by it being edgy or grimdark? Um, it, uh, more so than Dwarf Fortress, I think, it wants, um, Dwarf, it wants Dwarf shock Fortress, value. Yeah, it wants shock value. And Dwarf Fortress characters die because the world itself is a little unstable. And they don't die just from enemy attacks. They die because there's no more alcohol in the fortress. Or they die because, I don't know, um, for a multiple, there's a cave-in or there's flooding. In RimWorld, you almost only ever watch characters die because people are attacking them. And after a while, the rhythm and cadence of these attacks becomes so overwhelming that all the players ever do is like prepare for the next siege. Um, and then on top of that, it's, it kind of wants to like push your buttons with what it can allow people to do um, I watched a Let's Play where uh, the Let's Player I, I was watching was like 
definitely starving. He'd intentionally gotten a map that was going to be cold, like for most of the year, and realized in his growing season he hadn't grown enough, um, you know, food. And so, like, he resorted to cannibalism. And it's not like I don't want the game to allow you to do this, but it was like kind of feels like sometimes the game is just like gleefully rubbing its hands together as you resort to doing things you wouldn't nor like you that are kind of ethically wrong. Hmm. Well, I mean, we have cannibalism too, but I think we play it for humor. Um, <laughs> like you do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a I had a conversation a while back um, with a, a a not particular. It's sort of a mid-level Let's Player uh, Twitch streamer who is also a very well-known game developer. I don't want to mention his name. And he's streamed Clockwork Empires a couple of times, and he's streamed RimWorld a lot. And I sort of looked at this situation and said, how do we, you know, how do we switch... The, you know, he likes Clockwork a lot, thinks it's, it's great, but prefers to stream RimWorld. And so I sort of got him on the, got him on the horn, as one does, and say... Hey, how do we how do we fix this in this outrageous imbalance in your in your streaming? And his answer really was that Rimworld always lights in very mechanically making sure that you are always facing something new constantly disrupting the flow of gameplay. That's their whole thing is they um, claim to have a, a storyteller AI or something which basically introduces new events uh, in a by sort of analyzing or somehow trying to analyze when the right time is for the next event and then popping it in. Um, we don't actually do that. I mean, we just let the simulation basically run and we have, uh, you know, Crusader King style events where events are, are specified basically on the same mean time to event system you guys use at Paradox. Um, RimWorld seems to take this one step further and tries to make educated guesses about what the, the right next disruptive event is. And for him, that was the, the thing that he felt made it much more interesting to stream um, than, than Clockwork does, which I think is really, you know, it's, it, this, this idea of having like a programmatic um, authored narrative. I mean, I, I guess uh, Dead or Alive does something similar. Um, you always know. You always know something's going to happen. Is that what he's saying? It's not it's only that you know something's going to happen, but the game is tweaked so that it puts in the something that's going to happen at what the the developer of Rimworld feels are correct intervals, um, which is quite interesting. As opposed to just the simulation will run, and then sometimes you'll get a good distribution of of interesting, and sometimes you won't. But the simulation is pure in that sense. It's not spiking things because you haven't seen trouble in two days or whatever, we're going to have a Raven Squirrel or Raiders or, or Squirrel Raiders or whatever else it wants to throw at you. Um, and so that's sort of an interesting differentiation there is, is you know, the pure, purity of simulation versus how much it needs to be a game. Dwarf Fortress is very pure in that sense. It makes no real effort to be a game and, and does so sort of by accident. But it's rigid in its devotion to being a simulation. RimWorld is more accepting up front that it wants to be a game, but it's willing to compromise the simulation in order to do that with an AI director. That is a really succinct explanation of a technological concept that I didn't really understand until now. Thank you. I try. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> At what point do these games become stale? Or do they become stale? What keeps them fresh? I mean, we have 
mean, Dwarf Force has been going for a very, very long time. I guess I'm wondering what, when you're playing one of your worlds, I mean, Gita says he's eventually going to collapse and they're going to fail. Uh, but it's a game people keep coming back to. What would possibly make these games less interesting? We, we've seen failed ones, and they fail for a number of reasons. Like Game of Dwarfs, as Nick said, started Dwarf Fortressy, became Dungeon Keepery, and had really bad Scottish became really bad had really bad Scottish accents. I mean, let's just let's just stop the Scottish accent for dwarfs now. It's just just my new rule. It's no more of that. Um, They'll all be Irish. So, <laughs> oh God! You're but not somehow helping. even worse. No. <laughs> Top of the morning, do you? Oh my God! Let's oh, see. Leprechaun Stokes. Fortress. Yeah, there you go. Now we're talking. Oh, there we go. They're after to be lucky charms. Or other settings we would like to see explored. I mean, um, we have the fantasy tropes very, very well explored uh, in Dwarf Fortress. We have Rimworld pushing the you know, Firefly with an attitude uh, type of colonies on the remote edges of space with a bit of a Wild West flavor. Uh, Memoria, which is... Gnomes. A poor man's dwarf fortress. Yeah, I guess they're all they're all from they're all they're all Swiss. I think isn't that where gnomes are from? Switzerland, Zurich. I I I think they're from my lawn. <laughs> oh well, that's you know what disturbing. would be fun though is like a, a cyberpunk like you're managing a megacorp city kind of thing, hmm. where you're sort of stacking things on top of each other instead of building them next to each other and have to deal with the very dense spaces and systems that exist within that. Oh, that's a, it's nice, but the problem the problem actually here's a, here's something we could talk about, and which is worth looking at. So Dwarf Fortress used to be two D. Okay, you had a big flat world, and in that world you you knew you started at the left, you went through to the right, and when you hit the right, you would unleash the demons, basically. And but there was an arc to the game in the simulation. And the arc was basically measured upon which portions you hit while continuing to dig rightward. Uh, Boat Murder was a famous two D example. Now at some point. Dwarf Fortress became 3D, and they added the, the height variation, and then they lost that arc, which is quite interesting. Uh, so it's almost like they made a decision at some point to not have that kind of narrative arc, and I don't know if that was an intentional decision or, a, or an accidental one. Um, I think, again, I think Charn Adams values adherence to a simulation above all else. But um, a lot of the problem with density of, of height... Uh, and why we don't have it in Clockwork Empires, actually, is it's very hard to read visually. Um, and Dwarf Fortress, if it's Zed layers, I mean, you you sort of sometimes get away with it because there's, uh, you know, you, you, you really striate your own fortress and have that, that sort of functional assignment of, of, you know, this is the floor where the bedrooms are, this is the floor where the mining operations are currently going. But it's really hard to parse if you want to do it in anything other than strict layers. Um, I do agree. With, I think I think the world does need more cyberpunk games, but I've sort of, you know. Yeah, my one mission is just more cyberpunk in 2016. I think we, it's a great. I think it's a great idea. More cyberpunk in 2016. Let's do it. Yeah, that's the core. That's the core message I want to get out here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm. I mean, you know, and it, I mean. I think I think going back to the original question, what would make Dwarf Fortress less interesting and have less staying power if, the, if it wasn't for the fact it had been if it wasn't updated for thirteen bloody years? I mean, every patch you know introduces something new, and since I mean the last major shift I can think of really was the um, the shift from two D to three D, but 
what really happened after that was you keep playing now to see all the new things. Like, I mean, in the most recent one, which I have yet to sit down and play a couple of good weeks with, um, the poetry and the 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 visitors and and all this you know forms of programmed interpretive dance and song and and programmable yeah. art forms i mean yeah. that looks intense we, to see right so you want to, you want to see that and you want to see okay are my my dwarves going to start reciting poetry and iambic pentameter and and what great works will be created um i mean i had i fired up the new version and i didn't get any further when i played it than in the history explorer because i just kept digging through all the books people had written and going okay <laughs> that's really disturbing um you know but i think it's kind of funny that we have all of these history spanning strategy games that talk about culture and art you know the civ games and victoria and all of this but the only game that really has its characters and actors create art based on their world is dwarf fortress hmm and yet, the, like the, the the poker trick there, of course, is or the the magic trick or whatever, is that again, it's all very simple applications of rules, right? I mean, it's, oh, it's well, like I, it's, I, I I know what's all math, Nick. I know what's all. Well, math. it's not even just math. Ruin. It's like literally, <laughs> here are some tables and we glue them together to create a culture. But it's that that tripping through random permutations and then seeing them dump back into the game of a bunch of other systems that really makes it so effective. And you know, and it it's a beautiful effect uh, when I see it in AARs and Let's Plays to have you know the idea that the culture, the society is creating culture, it's creating statues, um, it is celebrating events. And we we did our Q and A for the Patreon to the first one a while ago. I said, look, one thing I want, I would like I would like history-based games and 4X games and other types of games to recognize they're in a world and for things to be memorialized in that world. And Dwarf Fortress is really the only, I guess, major title that memorializes events throughout its history and throughout the lifespan of that tunnel or of that mountain, um, which I think is quite a remarkable thing. To, I mean, that's... That, all of our history-based games don't do that. There's no reason I couldn't have, you know, a war memorial to a great battle I fought against Montezuma in Civilization. But no, there's just nothing for that. Just... Part of the problem is recognizing when it's a great battle. I mean, how how how, how does the game understand that? And that that's a that's a that's a, a hard problem. In the Dwarf Fortress space, I think it just sort of flings enough. You know, it will just randomly dump. An event with some some recognition into the to the history pool. It doesn't really understand the concept of battles, but you might get a statue commemorating like the 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 slaying of the 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 goblin Utsnecker Kids Ernstot by some dwarf um, in the year eight twenty seven, and then right. yeah, but that's an, mean, again it's an atomic <laughs> event. Dwarf Fortress yeah. also allows the player to privilege what is a good or great battle, um, along with having this generated history and sort of memory about mm -hmm. events that has ha that have happened and leaders who are important that died. So in Dwarf Fortress, um, you can just build a room with a bunch of statues in it and decide for yourself what that room means in a way that, like, Civ just won't allow you to. Right. Yeah. And again, it goes back to that, this idea of everything is, is you can't do that unless you're simulating in miniature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you guys think that, do you think that in the game space there exists anything else, not 
so stepping out of the world builder genre or the colony builder genre, do you think there's anything else out there that has this sort of um, the the dwarf fortress mystique to it? I mean, is this the singular example of this kind of quirky, eccentric, beloved game? Or are there other... I can think of maybe one, but are there other, are there other games that you can think of that sort of have this sort of... Swag, this sort of cachet in the, in the game community. Were you going to say swag? I was going to say swag. He was going to say swag. But I'm the editor. We'll just edit that out. So it's not going to happen. Boop. Yeah. Um, there are some examples of ways that players impose challenges on themselves that remind me of Dwarf Fortress. Okay. Um, there's a Pokemon challenge where if a Pokemon ever dies, you have to retire it. Like it's dead. If it faints, it's done. And that becomes this thing where it does become this sort of iterative um, storytelling engine rather than a game of Pokemon. And it's mm. super interesting. Another is when The Sims, the Generations Challenge, where you mm. try to get a generation of 10 children, um, the 10 generations on a single lot. And in the beginning, um, you have to buy the largest lot, which leaves you the littlest amount of money in order to try to move on. And it's just ridiculously hard. And at a, at a certain point, The Sims isn't really built to play a single game for 10 generations. So things just start getting super weird. Um, and it, it's, But this is the thing where you have to play games in a way that they're not meant to be played in order to produce results that Dwarf Fortress gives you naturally. Interesting. Um, I, so two other games that immediately fall into mind in that sort of eccentric category. So the first is, uh, of course, Aurora. Aurora is yep. the Dwarf Fortress of 4X. Uh, it appears to be programmed in Visual Basic. It's made by a guy who I think does poker analytics for a living. It decided that the thing that it really wanted from Dwarf Fortress was a terrible UI, and it exceeded all expectations. But it has the same sort of half-crazed, um, massive scope and, and, and trying to do something different without really much caring for... Normality. Let's just put it that way. Um, I think Dominions is another also excellent example mm -hmm. of something operating in the same space, where the, the, the Illwinter guys clearly just shoehorn and jam in massive quantities of stuff and basically seem to give zero fucks about a bunch of things which you would sort of expect them to do and prefer to spend their time, you know, adding, you know, Giant fountains of blood that you can be your 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 fighters or whatever. Which I always um, choose as my deity if I can. Well, I mean, who doesn't? Um, the uh, gas gas lamp. We we run a dominions tournament in house, and it's the uh, we call it the horrible wizard fighting league. Hmm. Um, which I want to use as the title for an actual game, and the rest of the company thinks is terrible. So you know, let them know uh, if you want horrible wizards fighting forever. But. Um, but the, the, the reason we keep playing it and coming back to it is because it's so complex. It has such this diverse layering of systems and strategies and knowledge required that, you know, if you want, if you want to have any chance of beating your, your fellow man, you need to dive deep into the, the, the wikis. And it's not even wikis for Dominion 4. It's small forum posts scattered across half the internet, most of which mm -hmm. refer to a previous version of the game. Um, but you must dive and deep it is, into and, this... And, 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 and it is infinitely replayable. I mean, there are all of these different factions across different eras, and there's just no way you can research what the proper matchup is all the time. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, but you, you dive deep and drink heavily, and, and if it doesn't work, yeah. well, there's always the next grudge match, right? Um, I, read a, I read a fascinating comment recently on Dominions where um, somebody was asking some question about a mechanic and why it was changed, and the developer replied, well, that mechanic has been in since Dominions 1, and we do not understand how the code works anymore, so we're not going to change it. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm used to that with systems, but in a game design, that's just, that's just crazy town. Um, but good crazy town. So I think those are the two examples that for me really spring to mind. Um, I, think this, I think there's some stuff coming out of, out of Japan these days, which has some very similar crazy unplumbable depths to it. Um, I'm trying to think of what it is, though. I, I just going back to the other example of like, Outsider art and what makes Dwarf Fortress kind of special is because it is so outside um, how we perceive of indie games in general. Is uh, Yume Nikki is completely different, like very, very, very different from Dwarf Fortress. It is not a systems based game at all, but it is also like a really special game um, made by, I think, a lone Japanese developer um, that's just weird and unparsable and becomes this really intense experience because it is. Again, like also just so far outside our expectations of what what Japanese indie games or indie games in general look like, but that you just reminded me of it. So, what's the what's the one with like the crazy bullet hell maiden shooting thing? Is that like, you know, yeah, yeah. That's the same. That's <laughs> is that like that. Maybe I don't know. I don't know yeah. what Toho is. I don't know what a Toho is. It's all very confusing. But I remember watching. Let's plays of this thing, and that also that looks also. It 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 has it has the same effect of Dwarf Fortress of looking at it and going, "This is deeply strange and alien and weird," and I just have no idea what's going on. Um, so, and again, I think that's the product of one guy who's been churning them out since, you know, for for ages and ages and ages, and has now gotten really good at also making the soundtracks. I'm I'm. The stuff I don't really understand there entirely. Um, Kingdom of Loathing, to a lesser degree as well. That's a that's a thing that has been going on. It's still, I mean, that came out in 2002 and it's still alive and still making money off of t-shirts mainly. Uh, <laughs> and apparently paying for itself in a development team and, and that's just kept having stuff stuck to it forever and, and infinite levels of depth on it as well. Um, yeah, you get you get these 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 things where people just sort of keep slaving away on the the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel mm -hmm. um, for for years and years and years, and it, it sometimes the results are quite extraordinary. Well, I think that that describes the one example I was thinking of. Although I'm glad you brought up Aurora, I don't know how that slipped my mind. Uh, but there's a, a roguelike uh, with a capital R called Unreal World. And oh that's, god yeah, yeah. yeah. so that's yeah I, that may predate dwarf fortress by like 10 years yeah um i remember i remember, yeah, I remember playing in the yeah, 90s but, yeah. and, and it is it is now on steam i'm super happy to see that it's now on steam um and they just they they refresh their graphics so it looks like well it still looks pretty bad but <laughs> they uh they they kind of they kind of gave it a, an update to to do the steam push but they also you know they just did what they did and they got all of their money from donations or they had an odd licensing scheme for it wasn't a scheme an odd licensing set up for a while uh where you could pay for minor versions or for a lifetime membership and 
their development schedule is based on how nice it is outside because I believe they're from Finland. So yes. if it's nice, they are outside and not programming. So the worse the winters are, the more the game progresses. Um, I think that's a dev cycle more developers should stick to. I think yeah. that's I think that's a very traditional part of Finnish culture. It, every every so often you encounter a completely bonkers, insane programmer who, um, you know, the, the, there's some guy online making all these um, these great videos of himself doing these crazy programming tasks. Tool-assisted programming tasks in Visual Basic, and and mm. streaming this on YouTube. And when he's not working as a truck driver, and of course he's from Finland. They just they just <laughs> sort of produce this sort of manic strain of programmer. It doesn't surprise me that uh, that um, that the uh, the Unreal World guys are from there at all. But yeah, Un Unreal World is completely bananas. Um, the the only other roguelike that comes even remotely close, I guess, is Adom. Adom is pretty pretty out there. But and again, I think uh, uh, Thomas Biscop, right? Yeah. It's kind of a singular vision on the game rather than a, a many of the other roguelikes now that are open source are, have been somewhat democratized or at least have larger teams. Mm. Um, but maybe that's it. Maybe it's like maybe the we're attracted to the fevered dreams of a singular madman who, you know, just does what he does. Yeah, Cthulhu. <laughs> and on that note. On that note. Uh, thank you, all, all of you, for coming. It's always great to have Michael uh, in front of us and Nick and Gita. I hope we can have you both back very soon. Of course, of course. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. This is Three Moves Ahead uh, from the, on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can donate to our Patreon if you would like to vote on uh, the upcoming show. You can donate at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, this show is produced by Michael Hermes, who you just listened to partly for the last hour. Um, and we will be back next week with, I think, another show in our winter of wargaming, even though it is coming very close on the middle of March. I see snow on the ground. Do you do Caesar for, for, for the middle of March? I think you should do a Caesar game. Ooh, good, good call. Yeah, I thought so. I think we're doing something else, but maybe next time. <laughs> Have a good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Night.